today on Ag News Daily. We have to take care of ourselves in that same perspective. And whenever we can help people in rural America see that from that perspective, um, I think that's, that's, that's where we really need to, that's where the ball really starts rolling. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, I feel like there was something super important I was going to ask you today on the podcast, and I've totally lost it now. That has happened to me the last couple of days. Things have happened, and I make mental notes. Okay, I have to tell Delaney this or, you know, talk about it on the podcast. And then it comes time to talk, and I'm I'm like blanking. I don't know what I have to say to you. <laughs> Well, that's how I feel today. Unfortunately, my brain has gone to mush. Well, you made me wake up at like eight o'clock this morning. Oh, that's it. That's what I was going (laughs) to talk to you about. Yes, we were just, we just uh, had, well, it was early morning for you. It was not for me. I'm an early morning person, Um, but we had a good interview with the Millennial Ag Gals today from the Millennial Ag Podcast. We're going to be guests on their podcast. I I guess I didn't catch, catch when that airs. Do you know, Ashton? I think it actually is already up and running oh. if I saw correctly on Facebook. Yeah. All right. It's already up. So people go and listen if you want to see another part of us, I guess. Yeah, I, sh- I sure have not been on social media yet, but that's cool. It w- it's fun to be guests on other people's podcasts. And we got to talk about the start of Ag News Daily as well as Global Ag Network. So folks, if you were curious about the origin story, you can check that out right now on the Millennial Ag Podcast. Absolutely, Delaney. But another thing that we did today, we already did our Tech Tuesday interview for next week. So I won't give away too much there. Folks are going to have to tune in for that next Tuesday, the 18th. But while we were talking to our special guest there, he started talking about, you know, cattle input prices and kind of what's going on there, which makes sense. And I'm glad that he brought that up because I also want to talk about that today because according to Purdue University's Michael Langemeyer, who is an ag economist, He says that high cattle supplies are pulling down feed cattle prices. He told Brownfield Ag News that we've got a lot of cattle on feed and we've got a limited capacity to butcher those animals. And so, long story short, the fed cattle price is driven by more demand fundamentals and what's going on in the packing industry than corn price. Langmeyer also said that tight processing capacity is narrowing producer margins. According to Langemeyer, we don't have the capacity today as what we even had 10 years ago. However, with less cattle on feed, some ag economists have an improved price outlook for the latter half of the year. So it sounds like, Delaney, we need to do some some digging, get an ag economist on here so we can talk about this stuff. That certainly sounds the way that that is trending, Ashton. And yes, we did have a great interview today, too. I'm glad you mentioned that. That'll air next Tuesday. But there's a lot going on right now in the commodity markets and a lot causing some volatility in the commodity markets, not only on the beef side, but also, of course, on the grain side. And here's something that has come to my attention today that has caused a lot of friction today in corn and soybeans especially, but you look at today's sell-off, it looks scary. We're down the limit in corn. We didn't touch the limit in soybeans, but it looked like we might there for a while. But there is a big event going on right now, and that is some vessel traffic on the lower Mississippi River near the I-40 bridge. On Tuesday, we saw quite a few reports come out about a bridge that had, according to the bridge inspector, a significant fracture 
along the Hernando de Soto Bridge that carries Interstate 40 across the Mississippi River between Memphis, Tennessee and West Memphis, Arkansas. So this crack um, located on the beams, located on a beam essential to the bridge, structural integrity was identified during a routine inspection, which occurs every two years. This is coming straight from the Soy Transportation Coalition. Now, the concern here is that this significant fracture uh, could cause some unknown traffic issues because it sounds like they are going to have to put a halt on some things. They need to fix this structural issue, obviously. And in addition to the suspension of vehicular traffic across the bridge, the closure has resulted in a temporary suspension of barge traffic passing underneath this bridge right on the Mississippi River. This is a hot area that a lot of barges have to go through to get down to the south to get to export ports. So the concern today in the industry, grain industry in particular, is that there are quite a few barges that are loaded already with corn and soybeans along the upper Mississippi. And now they're going to have delays on getting those uh, barges down south. According to the USDA, uh, for the week ending May 1st, there are about 438 barges moved down river for Gulfport exports. And so there could be quite a few of those barges again now uh, paused, if you will, not able to get through the ports. We don't really have a concrete timeline as to when this could resume. But in the meantime, there's that's a pretty big issue to have this blockage on the Mississippi River uh, route, if you will. You know, Delaney, I saw that. I, I think I saw that maybe yesterday or earlier this morning. Can't really remember because I've been awake for so long at this point, I just don't know. <laughs> but I am glad that you hopped on that and informed us because I had some questions, but there wasn't too much information at the time. But honestly, I'm a little bit worried about what's going on transportation wise, because I mean, we have this, we have the gas shortage, don't really know kind of what's going on with the transporting containers that are supposed to be leaving the U.S. and, you know, all that good stuff that we talked about last week, I believe. So I feel like there's just a lot of things going on in the world of transportation right now. Yeah, you're right. There absolutely is. I hadn't even thought about that. Well, Delaney, I have some more trade news coming at you today, talking more about U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai. As earlier today, she said that she believes that solutions to trade disputes with the European Union on aircraft subsidies and steel and aluminum tariffs specifically are within reach. Tai told the U.S. House of Representatives Ways and Means Committee that she is very serious about resolving the 17-year Boeing Airbus World Trade Organization dispute over subsidies within a four-month tariff truce due to expire this summer. It was also said that lawmakers were told that the administration needs to rethink Trade Promotion Authority, which is the, quote, fast-track negotiating authority for trade deals that expires on July 1st to make it more relevant to a U.S. economy that is recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. So some more trade news coming in there. It sounds like Representative Tai is pretty passionate about what she's doing, which is kind of good to hear because I mean, 
I feel like even at the beginning of this week, we didn't know too much about trade under the Biden administration, but we've got some stories rolling out over the last two days or so that have given us some answers and a look into what we can expect going at least into the summer. And Ashton, I'll just add to that extension there a little bit on your story, um, but it sounds like the Biden administration wants to wants a better trade remedy than the nearly 60-year-old Section 232 tariffs that the Trump administration used to deal with issues like foreign steel and aluminum impacting U.S. the U.S. marketplace. And that was told by Representative Tai on Wednesday to fellow lawmakers. But uh, China in particular, you know, we slapped quite a few tariffs on them. Those are still in effect right now. And China hit the U.S. with a retaliatory $3 billion, $3 billion worth of retaliatory tariffs in response to that. And so it sounds like the Trump administration would like to look into using some new tools aside from tariffs to hold China and other trading partners accountable. So I think that's eh, could be a little rocky road ahead, but, you know, tariffs haven't necessarily helped us in any sense of the way, in any sense of uh, what they're intended to do. But while we're talking about trade here. China has also stepped in yet again today and announced an additional grain sale of 680,000 metric tons of new crop U.S. corn. Sounds like they're certainly moving right along to stockpile the commodity there in their country, Ashton. Lainey, I know you said earlier that you hadn't really been on social media lately, but I've got to say Angie Setzer, who we have had on the podcast a couple of times to talk about markets on our Market Monday episodes, she posted a funny meme the other day because um, I'm sure that you know analysts like her might be tired of you know hearing about China, but it was a meme basically just saying the first line of it is like, hey, everybody, China is here is buying more new crop corn and nobody's paying attention. And so the guy was like, see, nobody cares. And I, I, I thought it was a little funny at least. <laughs> yeah, you're right, because the markets certainly did not care today. They were way more concerned about uh, barge transportation issues and some other events going on, that's for sure. Well, Delaney, I just have one more piece of news today talking a little bit more about relationships, but this one doesn't concern China or even the U.S. It's talking about Saudi Arabia and Brazil. I can't remember. See, my memory is just leaving me. I've said I can't remember like 17 times on this episode, but um, we talked about Saudi Arabia and their proposed reduction of chicken from Brazil sometime on the show within the past couple of episodes. But Saudi Arabia's proposed reduction of the shelf life for chicken products is going to potentially hurt the Brazilian food company BRFSA's business in the kingdom, according to Chief Executive Lorval Luce. The proposed restrictions were communicated by Saudi Arabia to the World Trade Organization, and it would cut the shelf life of frozen chicken to three months from one year previously, potentially disrupting BRF's ability to serve that specific market. BRF is Brazil's largest chicken processor, and they operate via partnerships with local Saudi companies and also export products to the kingdom from Brazil, of course. And if implemented, a shorter shelf life for frozen chicken products would impose logistical challenges for both local suppliers and foreign exporters based in countries including France, the Ukraine, and Brazil. 
In a statement to Reuters Brazilian Meat Lobby, ABPA, said the proposed reduction of chicken shelf life in Saudi Arabia is a decision of a, quote, potential protectionist nature. The proposed rule change comes less than a week after Saudi Arabia banned imports from 11 Brazilian poultry plants without warning or explanation, which is a move that affected mainly JBS in Brazil. And on Tuesday, BRF said that Saudi authorities had notified the World Trade Organization of the proposed change regarding product shelf life, which is not yet in effect. BRF said that it would consult with authorities on what measures could be taken in line with WTO rules following the Saudi move. The trade bodies members affected by the measure have 60 days to comment, according to BRF. So I expect in the next coming days, at least, um, I don't think it'll take the full 60 days for a comment to come out, but going to keep my eye out on this. I think it's kind of interesting. I want to know really what Saudi Arabia's motives are behind this. Uh, that's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know a lot about the Saudi Arabian market, to be honest with you, other than obviously they're in the oil space. So interesting question. I don't have the answer to it. Well, according to this article, it said that it could affect local suppliers and foreign exporters. So Jeddah, which is Saudi Arabia's main port, is about a thousand kilometers away from Saudi Arabia's capital. And so both local and foreign suppliers are going to have to adjust um, some kind of logistical means if it becomes a new standard. So it really could impact, I mean, like I said, those exporters, including France, Ukraine, and Brazil could affect them um, maybe harshly. I'm not you know, sure to what extent it could affect them, but definitely something we're going to have to pay attention to because even though the U.S. really isn't involved at this point, um, it could affect things you know, from a global market standpoint. Very true. Very true, Ashton. And one other thing that could affect us from a global market standpoint is this final piece of news that I've got for today. China has slowed their purchases of Brazilian soybeans to try and curb against price gains at the ports in Brazil. And this has attracted U.S. buyers like chicken producer Purdue to start buying South American product because South American soybeans can be bought right now at a 25 cent discount compared to what's being traded right now on the Chicago Board of Trade. However, uh, this article is from early this morning, so I'm not entirely sure we could say the same after today's massive sell-off that we saw here in the grain markets. Ashton, do you have any other news or can we hop right into it here? No, let's do it. All right. Well, as I mentioned, it was a little bit of a bloodbath in the grain markets today. We saw limit down moves in corn and not quite limit down moves in soybeans, but definitely some selling off here. However, I would just say that there are still some pretty bullish fundamentals underlying this marketplace. So hopefully today's sell off was just that a short term sell off. July corn down 40 cents today to end at 674 and three quarters. The Dees down 34 and three quarters cent to close at 558 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, the July contract down 58 and a half cents to close at 1584. The November down 47 and a quarter cents to close at 1396 and a half. Wheat was lower today as well, with the July contract down 28 and a quarter cent to close at 701 and a half. The Dees down 25 and three quarters to close at 705 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, 
they experienced a little bit of a sell-off as well. June live cattle down $3 to close at $115.60. The August down $2.92.5 to end at $119.40. In feeder cattle, the August contract shedding two pennies today to end at $150.50. September ending the day out at $151.97, down about $0.07.5. Lean hogs continued that week today as the June contract down $1.92 to close at $110.10. The July down $1.82.5 to close at $110.10. And wrapping up our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. The June contract down $0.04 cents today to close at $19.60. July down $0.23 cents to close at $19.85. Now, Ashton, as we mentioned before on the podcast, not only is this month beef month, it's also mental health Awareness Month. So we're going to be chatting here with Jason Meadows, host of the Ag State of Mind podcast, to talk about just that. Well, folks, as we've discussed a little bit on the podcast before, May is Mental Health Month, and we actually have a fantastic podcast that's part of the Global Ag Network that focuses on mental health and well-being for folks specifically in rural America. You might have been before. We're talking today with Jason Meadows, host of the Ag State of Mind podcast. Jason, we're super excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm super, super excited to be here. I remember the first time I was on Ag News Daily, and I feel like uh, it's come a long way since then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's been fun to see your podcasting journey because you kind of joined with the network, and now we've seen you kind of uh, make your way in the podcasting world. And you've had some really great episodes, which I want to talk about a little bit later on. But for those folks who are not familiar with the Ag State of Mind podcast or your background, will you just give us the 10,000 foot view of what all you're doing? Because it sounds like you're a busy guy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, Brene Brown, whenever someone asks her how much, you know, what she does, she always asks, how much time do you have? So, so I, my first probably primary thing I do is I am a pharmacist at a rural hospital in South Central Missouri. That's my 40 hour a week job. That's what pays the bills. That's where I, what I went to school for. Um, but I'm also a third generation cow calf operator. My dad actually owned the lo- local livestock market just out uh, close to where we live. He owned it for close to 30 years. And then, you know, he had a cow calf operation of his own. And we are continuing that as well. We, our part of it is about uh, 150 head. Uh, you know, we uh, background some steers and raise our own replacement heifers. Um, so, you know, we, uh, a livestock and agriculture plays an integral part of our lives. So the podcast was kind of birthed out of my combination of wanting to uh, help producers be more healthy, um, you know, using my education and professional background along with my agricultural background. And you know that's what the podcast, that's where it came from. And that's what I've really been trying to do is combine those two worlds. Um, but also, as you mentioned, we have a, we have just started a new business, a, a yoga studio in our hometown. Um, so it's just another layer of trying to bring uh, a more healthy lifestyle to rural America. And I think that's the overreaching angle of my brand is, um, is to get rural America healthy. Jason, the year that we're experiencing so far is a little different than what we were experiencing about this time last year, which I think is yeah. the last time we've had you on the podcast. So really kind of what has changed, 
I guess, in the quote unquote trends of mental health or, you know, what's going on in the world of agriculture that is affecting our nation's farmers? So, you know, I am I'm an optimist, right? And I'm never going to downplay what COVID and the lockdowns and everything has done to the markets, to the well-being. Um, but I also have made it see that it has given rural America hope again because people who live in the cities maybe maybe start to want to understand rural America a little bit better and maybe want to experience it for themselves. And sometimes they want to even live that life. Maybe they make that decision. Uh, the lockdowns made them realize they don't want to live in a place where it's super populated and you know, they want to be, be a part of rural America. So um, again, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay how the effects of it were over this past year, but also I like to see the, I like to see the good in the situation. And I feel like that has um, really been brought into light and people wanting to have more of a relationship and a more and more of an open dialogue of what is going on in rural America and um, the 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 meat supply chain shortages back last spring. Um, I think that really also kind of was a wake up call to everyone, too, in trying to have a better idea of where their food comes from and where the where the supply chain may or may not break down. And um, just I think it's a really, really interesting and good opportunity for rural America to showcase how important we are to overall society. Jason, as you look at this month being Mental Health Awareness Month, talk to us a little bit about what that means from your perspective and what we can do to reach out to folks that, you know, maybe are struggling from that or just how do we connect with people because that is such a hot button issue and a hard one to talk about, especially with folks in rural America. So I think the biggest thing that I like to help people understand is we all have mental health. That's not something that is a negative or a positive thing. It's a it's a neutral thing that we all we all have mental health. Now we have we experience bad mental health, good mental health on any given day. But you know, mental health itself is something that we all have and we all should pay attention to. And from from what all the people I've talked to and all of the discussions I've had, there's one that always sticks out in my mind and how to best reach the folks in agriculture in rural America. And we have to start seeing ourselves as assets to whatever our business, whatever our operations may be. We have to see we have to start see, seeing our, our human element as an asset, much as we would a piece of land, much as we would a piece of equipment, uh, you know, any other sort of infrastructure. We have to start putting a value on ourselves, and we have to start having that maintenance on ourselves, much like we would on a tractor or uh, vaccinations or health care of a, of a cow herd. We have to take care of ourselves in that same perspective. And whenever we can help people in rural America see that from that perspective. Um, I think that's, that's, that's where we really need to, that's where the ball really starts rolling. And as far as helping someone out who may be struggling, I think the biggest thing is just be, be paying attention and understand that there are, um, you know, we live an isolated lifestyle. Um, I mean, that's part of the trade-offs that come with, 
living in rural America. I mean, all the things, all the things that are great about it, it's, it is isolated and it's not always easy to chat with somebody. Uh, and it's, there's a stigma that we all are very aware of that exists surrounding mental health in rural America. However, always be on the lookout for someone who is could be having some sort of struggle. And the best way I can do that is just pay attention. If they, um, if my friend of mine, I shared this on a podcast last year, um, my friend, Nathan Brown, who is an excellent advocate for mental health in agriculture. He's from Ohio. And he shared this story about his friend who he said he wanted him to come over and help him load some hogs at his place. And, um, you know, Nathan understood that that was probably out of the ordinary for this guy to ask for help. So, um, but he wanted to make sure he acted on that. And he went over there and he helped them load those hogs. Well, it turns out that, you know, the hogs were not actually a big deal. They were just kind of that excuse to get someone to come over and help him, uh, and get him to talk to him about all the, Issues that he'd be had been having, financial issues, uh, stress issues, family issues, all these things that you know, had really piled up and he hadn't had a chance to really talk to someone. So I think the, the lesson in that story is we have to look for those opportunities such as what Nathan did there and look for someone who is needing help fixing fence or loading hogs or working on a combine, whatever it may be. Um, something that may look out of the ordinary for, for a normal person to, or for, for that person to do, but it may be just their way of reaching out for help. And that's the only way they know how is to reach out for help with something other than what we're, we're talking about here. So Jason, I think that getting help or seeking help is maybe a, kind of taboo subject. I think that a lot of people who are struggling don't know who to reach out to, where to go, or, you know, where to even start on getting help. So what are some words of encouragement that you might have for anyone out there who's struggling to find help or, you know, to find a way to better themselves? So the first thing is find someone that is safe, someone who is easy to talk to. It doesn't, this, no, this doesn't have to be a professional. This can be a friend. This can be a coworker. This can be uh, a pastor at church, you know, find that first level of help. And maybe they, and you know, if maybe they can take care of the problems, maybe, and I've said this a lot of times before, uh, just being able to talk to somebody and share what's going on with you sometimes is all the help you need. Just having that, uh, listening ear, but sometimes it needs to go beyond just non-professional help and needs to actually go to professional help and never be discouraged of trying to reach out and never, if you have, if you feel like you need professional help, there's no shame in that. There's no, I mean, your brain is an organ. Uh, your emotions are part of that organ that sometimes don't function the way that they should. And, and it's no different than going to a doctor for when your heart isn't acting normally. Uh, so seek out that help because it is necessary. And you know, there are places, there's more and more rural health type places that are popping up and you know, there's more telehealth type sites that are, are, uh, are coming on board as a result. Another good thing that has come down out of the pandemic is people realizing that uh, telehealth and uh, virtual 
counseling sessions, that sort of thing are a very valuable tool during this time and can be really well utilized. I talk in a, uh, a couple of weeks coming up with a friend of uh, mine. Her name is uh, Holly Roberts. She's from the University of Nebraska system. And she talks about how this time, this pandemic has really shown how farmers can come in and uh, don't have to go to a major city or even a city at all. They can go to uh, a counselor from the comfort of their own tractor if they want, you know, I mean, especially from the comfort of their own home. And it really takes a lot of those barriers down in those instances. Well, Jason, we certainly appreciate you coming on to the podcast today. We're so lucky to work with you and other great podcasters on the Global Ag Network. But for those of our listeners who might not listen to Ag State of Mind already, where can they find you at? Well, sure. Well, obviously, we can find me find me on the Global Ag Network website, Global Ag Network slash Ag State of Mind with Jason Meadows. Um, I'm also all across any podcasting uh, mediums, podcasting platforms, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, Google, all those places. And then you can find me, um, you can find me on mostly on Facebook and Instagram. Those are the places where I like to uh, spread the content the most, but uh, also a little bit on Twitter and TikTok too, all, all across social media, ag state of mind. Well, Jason, I didn't know you were on TikTok. I'll have to go and give some of your videos a view because I like that platform as well. But thanks so much for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me, girls. I really, really appreciate it. Always appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Well, thanks again there to Jason for coming on. Uh, it seems like we've had a lot of collaborations here lately with, you know, folks on the Global Ag Network. It certainly does. I hadn't even thought of that, but that's what the network was designed to do. So I'm glad that we've been able to do that, Ashton. Absolutely, Delaney. You have a smart head on your shoulders there. But folks, if you want to listen to any of the episodes that we have done with anyone else on the Global Ag Network, you can do so on the Global Ag Network website at globalagnetwork.com. And you can also view the Ag News Daily website while you're at it. Just open a new tab there for agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.